The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. A year-long investigation into the under-the-radar information links between Washington and Wall Street has led to insider trading charges aimed at the political intelligence industry and healthcare companies. Manhattan federal prosecutors and federal regulators have charged a D.C. consultant, a government employee, and three hedge fund executives at Deerfield Management with profiting from confidential information about pending decisions by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They allege the scheme generated from $3.5 to $3.9 million in illegal profits. My guests are Eugene Saltis, professor at the Harvard Business School and author of Why They Do It, Inside the Mind of the White Collar Criminal, and Robert Hockett, a professor at Cornell University Law School. Bob, start us off by telling us about the case. Sure. So on the one hand, it's kind of a classic insider trading case. On the other hand, it's also an instance of a, a new, what appears to be a new trend in insider trading. So it's classic in the sense that you've got somebody who's an insider to a particular agency that is going to make decisions that are going to have an effect on the price or the value of certain firms and thus on the prices of those firms' securities. That insider then reveals some of uh, the inside information that he has before it becomes public, in this case about two months before it becomes public. Those to whom he reveals it, of course, trade on the securities in question because they have an informational advantage relative to other traders out there. And then, of course, they pocket uh, rather nice, uh, handsome gains, as you said, between 3.5 and $3.9 million. That's the sense in which it's classical. The one sense in which it represents an instance of a new kind of or a new variant of insider trading is that there seems to be an increasing reliance now um, on the part of insider traders on uh, consultants who used to be employed um, by the particular agencies um, uh, whose decisions they're sort of getting access to in advance. Um, The thought seems to be that using these uh, consultants will sort of insulate the insider traders. As we're finding now, it's not actually going to uh, insulate them at all. Um, They're going to be found just as, uh, well, they seem just as likely to be discovered uh, and uh, and, uh, prosecuted uh, as they would have been if they had used the old-fashioned way of simply relying on friends. Eugene, is there a fine line to cross between so-called political intelligence and insider trading? Uh, Yes, I I certainly think there is. I mean, what you see the individuals in this case doing, and very much by many of their emails, looks and kind of feels like research. I mean, they were pretty open about their conversations and trying to understand the dates and the the size of the the, uh, changes in payments. the kinds of things that people and analysts are trying to get to better understand uh, how what's going to happen to a firm in the future. And so if, if these hedge fund analysts actually approached a CEO or an investor relations officer and found this out from an executive, so suppose the CEO said, you know, I'm really worried about the reimbursement rates go over the next year. Uh, we think Medicaid might actually change those. Uh, that would actually be a fair game under our current system of rules. Um, what could happen is it could be a Reg FD violation from the standpoint of the firm if it was considered material, but it wouldn't lead to an insider trading charge for the individuals that are receiving the information. 
But we see in this case the fact that they actually acquired this information uh, via someone in the government actually led to a, you know, a much more serious charge for, for everyone involved. Bob, what's, do you agree? Because what struck me here is that the the insider was a former friend and had worked with the consultant and didn't seem to really profit from this. Um, yeah, it's, it's not clear at this point whether the actual, the, the person who was still within the agency was profiting or not. We do know, uh, however, uh, that the so-called consultant who used to work in the agency and was still quite close friends, apparently, with uh, Mr. Worrell, who was still within the agency at the time, uh, did profit. And um, Eugene, and I, I also wonder about if a lot of this is has to do with the emails. And I always wonder why are people still writing these emails? Because some of yeah. the things in the emails, um, uh, the uh, consultant bragged about his access to inside information. He wrote, his predictions differed from those of a competitor who doesn't know anyone at CMS. His guesses are just wild, random guesses. That, that obviously doesn't look good with emails, and I think that makes the case uh, helps make the case that the prosecutors will, will ultimately seek to make in the case. But if one actually thinks about looks at reports, for example, written by uh, cell side analysts, um, they they kind of not in that kind of explicit way, but they brag that yesterday I just had a conference call, I just had a private meeting with the CEO and CFO of the firm, and that helped me better understand what's going to happen. And now you should believe my report more than the other sell-side analyst who you might be reading from. So the, I think the type in the language, obviously, is, is one that is certainly not going to serve anyone well in this case. But the underlying sentiment that, you know, you have better knowledge than someone else, that, that's still common within the market. We're talking about Manhattan federal prosecutors and federal regulators charging a D.C. consultant, a government employee, and three hedge fund executives at Deerfield Management with profiting from confidential information about pending decisions by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And we're talking with Robert professor at Cornell University Law School, and Eugene Soltis, professor at the Harvard Business School and author of Why They Do It, Inside the Mind of the White Collar Criminal. Bob, what one of the, um, what charges states is that just like trading on material non-public corporate information can be a federal crime, so can trading based on secret government information as alleged as alleged has happened here, but yeah. are prosecutors expanding their focus by going to these consultants? I, I, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't think they're expanding the focus as much as they're just responding to changes in the methodologies that are used by insider traders, right? So this is sort of an interesting phenomenon, right? It's, it's well known. It's long been established that people who uh, have formerly worked in government become consultants partly because they are able to provide access to personnel, to actual policymakers and decision makers, uh, to those who are interested in the outcomes of these sorts of decisions. What's sort of new is they're providing access to what is indeed material, non-public information of the kind that it's illegal to trade upon. This seems to be something of new development, and that's, of course, what's happening here. Um, and I think that the government is simply responding to it. Both the SEC and the Justice Department are you know, basically keeping up with the times, so to speak, as new methods of conducting inside trading uh, emerge, uh, so do uh, so does the focus of a particular prosecutor or regulator uh, shift in order to sort of, uh, again, uh, respond to that change. 
Eugene, attorneys for Robert Olin and Theodore Huber um, said that their clients did nothing wrong, and attor- we have not been able to get in touch, or they have not responded yet to the attorneys for the government employee and the D.C. consultant. But one of the former Deerfield executives, Jordan Fogle, pleaded guilty on Friday and is cooperating with prosecutors. Um, does that tell you that uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for the defense? I think it, there's there's a lot of evidence. I mean, the the SEC complaint is, is over 50 pages, so they they've put together a a pretty extensive case, uh, especially with it, with the emails, um, and especially some of the more colorful emails. But I, I think the position, you know, their clients are in are thinking. I think at the time they view themselves as doing research, and I think this is this murky world in which you know acquiring some types of information uh, is acceptable and some types are not. And actually, what is deemed material is itself quite fuzzy. I mean, uh, it's defined right now as something that a, a reasonable investor would find useful for more, uh, making a more informed trading decision. Um, on one hand, you could say that covers basically anything. So there's really nothing you could learn from talking to an executive or someone in a government position. But at the same time, every day there's, you know, thousands of these meetings going on all the time. So people believe they can legitimately acquire some kinds of information. The, the question is, what types of information is actually acceptable and unacceptable? Bob, I return again to the inside government employee, Worrell. He's charged with 16 counts and could face 210 years in prison. Of course, that's a, a yeah. number that will never be reached. But, you know, it's one of those numbers they put out there. That seems to be a lot for someone who was, you know, friends with the guy, had worked with him and didn't cash, didn't change hands. Yeah, I think there are a couple reasons, though, that um, that make him a couple reasons that he looks, um, I think, especially uh, worth going after to the government. Uh, the main one is actually one of those colorful uh, emails mentioned a moment ago. Um, so when he was first first approached by Mr. Blas- Mr. Blazek, who had previously worked with him in the agency and is now you know with the consultancy firm, um, you know this his his friend uh, promised him apparently uh, the prospect of making up to two million dollars in revenue by revealing this information, uh, and Mr. Worrell apparently responded by saying, you're like a drunk, and then put in square brackets, prostitute to me. It's hard to resist. LOL, let's talk. <laughs> so it's, it's a fairly incriminating-looking uh, uh, email. It makes his motive uh, look quite criminal. Uh, and so my guess is that that's really the, that's the key here. It doesn't really matter whether he got the money or not. The fact that he was acting on the promise of that kind of money and was knowingly do something, doing something that he's prohibited from doing, uh, I think that suffices as far as the, um, the regulators and the uh, prosecutors are concerned. Eugene, whenever we discuss insider trading, we always ask, is the conduct actually harmful to the market? And if so, how? How about this conduct? This gets, at least in my view, a little bit more interesting. I mean, we generally hear from prosecutors that the reason why insider trading is harmful is because uh, it's people are trading uh, in the market on information others don't have. Um, but there's lots of opportunities in the market for people at, at hedge funds and other, other places that have information that I and others don't have. Uh, so that's not really why it's harmful. It's, it's harmful because it's, it's misappropriating information. It's, it's stealing information. And so in like a more classical insider trading case in which someone knows about an upcoming acquisition a company it makes and then starts tells their friends and they start buying shares, this runs up the price, potentially making that acquisition no longer feasible. So it actually harms the person, uh, harms the entity or the firm that actually possesses this information. 
Now, what's interesting here is that it's it's not really uh, the misappropriation of the information, uh, which is essentially government information, isn't necessarily causing, I'll say, harm to the government. Uh, I did my PhD at Chicago in kind of the school of market efficiency. I mean, one can actually argue that the incorporating this information to price is actually making markets more efficient um, in that regard. Um, and it's not necessarily hurting the person that possesses it, the government. So it's, I think it's a little bit different in that regard. Um, you know, ultimately, we can be concerned about the integrity of the marketing if everyone is trading on information they We're, acquire through these I'm, different sources. I'm going but. to have to stop you right there. Uh, we'll be discussing this again in the future. I hope both of you will come back. That's Eugene Soltis, professor at the Harvard Business School, and Robert Hockett, professor at Cornell University Law School. Coming up, President Trump hires a high-powered New York lawyer as he faces multiple investigations. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.